<laughs> yeah, just, just Dino for short time. Hey, Friday night we had a great time with the youth. It was uh, really cool. I'm enjoying hanging out to keep me young, uh, keep me real. Uh, we talked about prayer. Uh, so those who don't know, we're going through the, uh, the Youth Alpha series, and so prayer was a topic. And uh, three things they mentioned about prayer. So uh, parents, if you want to ask your, your kids, young people, uh, what we talked about and uh, what was the three words we mentioned in regards to what we can do when we pray. There's three words talked about uh, thanks, sorry, please. Although it's a great way just to kind of summarize what we can pray and how we can pray to God. So uh, thanks, sorry, please. Uh, so yeah, so if you think about it, ask your kids about that. And uh, see, encourage them to pray. Pray with them. Pray with them. Be a good opportunity. Well, today's Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost. You know, as I've been looking into this topic, I am more and more convinced of the importance of this celebration uh, for us as believers. And so I'm excited to, uh, to share with you today on Pentecost Sunday. I want to take you back to the first Pentecost. So let's take a journey through time. Last century, uh, we saw the birth of the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement with its origins going back to Azusa Street or Topeka, if uh, you want to make it even more uh, legit in your modern history. In the 18th century, we saw John Wesley inspire many with their spiritual awakening, and we saw the Great Awakening go through uh, a lot of Northern America and across the seas as well. In the 16th century, we saw Martin Luther uh, challenge the church in what led the Reformation, realizing that God can speak to us, not just through the hierarchy of the church. And then throughout history, we see the Spirit being poured out on people and, and groups of people, the Moravians, who, by the way, are the original Bohemians. Just thought I'd throw that out there. The Waldeans. I love mentioning the Waldeans. You know, they challenged, this is all leading up to the Reformation, they challenged the church at the time saying, God can speak to us through the Spirit. And in that challenge... The hierarchy of the time didn't like it, and they were actually at times the Waldeans, who we would class as a little bit of a spiritual ancestors, tracing the lines of the spiritual revivals throughout history, they got classed as witches and warlocks because they challenged the church of that time. We go right back to the 4th century, and we see where the Roman Empire decided to declare itself as a Christian world, Christian nation, however we want to uh, declare that. Then we get back to the first century where the early church grew by thousands, including many who were persecuted for their faith. Then on the day of Pentecost in Acts, 120 disciples were gathered in an upper room. Well, let's go back even further. We have the Passover where Jesus sat with the disciples just leading up to the time of his death and resurrection. Go back to the turn of the millennium, the, 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 the middle of time, if we can say it that way, where Jesus was born, separating BC and AC. We'll go back even further, a couple of 400 years earlier, and the people of God returned from exile back to the promised land. 500 BC, they went off into exile roughly around that time. 930 BC, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. 
1000 BC, David reigned over Israel. 1200 BC, Israel was ruled by judges. 1300 BC, Israel entered the promised land. And shortly before they entered the promised land, they exited Egypt. And this leads us to the place of the first Pentecost. Most of us, when we hear Pentecost, we think of the upper room. The 120 gathered together, praying, worshipping God. And in Acts, as we read, when the day of Pentecost came, God's Spirit was poured out on those disciples, those believers. Yes, this is significant, and it's an important part of, of the modern-day church. Many people say, in fact, that video we talked about, you know, it talks about as the birth of the church as we know it today. And thank God for that. But in Acts, when you read Acts, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. This wasn't their first day, their first event. This was when the day of Pentecost came. It was a day in the Jewish calendar. It was a celebration. They were celebrating. So let's go back to where Pentecost is first mentioned in Scripture. Exodus chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 14 and 16. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I command you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For the month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with your first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. And celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. Some of you are probably thinking, he didn't mention Pentecost. Where's Pentecost there? Pentecost is the other name known for the festival of harvest. One of these three festivals in the Jewish calendar, in which the men, people of Israel, were to appear before the Lord. This festival was called the Festival of Weeks, Festival of Harvest, in Deuteronomy. But it soon got its name as Pentecost, coming from the Greek, because it was to be celebrated 50 days, Pente, 550, 50 days after Passover. So it commonly got known by the time Acts comes around as Pentecost which we continue to call it today. So to understand a bit about Pentecost, I want to look at these three festivals. Festivals of salvation, I would like to call them. Passover was the first, first of these three pilgrim festivals. Established to remember how God had delivered Egypt, sorry, Israel from Egypt, from slavery. You can read about it in Exodus. You can read more about the, uh, the celebration in Deuteronomy 16. And in 16, uh, we read Deuteronomy. Uh, it talks about, You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord gives you, except the place he would choose as a dwelling place for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord 
your God will choose. Then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, hold assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. This festival got its name because God passed over Israel. He delivered them from slavery. Delivered them from bondage. Did miraculous signs, which Pharaoh couldn't deny. Drove Pharaoh to to go, get your people out of here. And they left. They weren't to celebrate in any town. They were to celebrate in the town that God had decided. God had chose. The sacrifice, the Passover lamb together. It's quite interesting too when you read a little bit about that, just the, the journey of that Passover festival, the process. They would bring in a lamb into their family. And just, just think about the symbolism here. The lamb would come into the family and, and dwell with them. Yeah. And we heard during Sharon mentioned Emmanuel, God with us. The lamb would be with us in that family for a couple of weeks leading up to the time of Passover. Think about the kids. The kids are there playing with the lamb. <laughs> then it's time to sacrifice the lamb. It's a teaching moment. It's a moment to show the significance of what God has done in Israel. He has delivered them, set them free. It was a geographical release from Egypt going into the promised land. From one location to the next. A physical celebration from being physical slaves to being physically free. It was a celebration they celebrated every year. We read Jesus celebrated in Luke chapter 2. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast festival of harvest. Luke verse 41. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he ventures back to Jerusalem for what would be his final Passover on earth. In Luke 22, 7 to 8, when the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, Jesus and Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. During this Passover, something happened that changed how this festival would be celebrated. You can continue to read the story in chapter Luke. But we know the story. We celebrated this in Easter. Jesus redefined the covenant. He became the Passover lamb, Emmanuel. He came and dwelt with us. And then at the time that was required, he was sacrificed. What was a celebration of a geographical deliverance from a physical bondage, Jesus transformed this to not just to be a geographical and physical celebration, but a spiritual and, can I say, cosmic celebration. We are spiritually set free, spiritually free to walk in in what God has called us to walk in. That promised land is a physical location. It is living in the promise of God here and now as we are. That's what Jesus did. He transformed that celebration. Allowing us to be free today. We continue 
to celebrate the Passover with the Lord's Supper. Communion. We remember how God has delivered us from sin. God has saved us from our sin. We have been saved. Every follower of Christ experiences this and needs to remember it as an ordinance, as a sacrament, as a celebration regularly. Our spiritual journey begins with a Passover festival where we acknowledge our need for a saviour. Our need for God to set us free through his life, death and resurrection. Death passes over us. And we are released to enter into the promised land. The Passover is the first of the three pilgrim festivals. The second is Pentecost. Exodus 23, 16, celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your crops you sow in the field. In Deuteronomy 16, we get a, a bit more detail here. Deuteronomy 16, count off seven weeks from the time you begin the sickle to the standing grain. Those who know the mass, seven times seven, 49, and the day after is 50. Count off seven weeks. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. This festival marks the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. It's all connected to harvest. A lot of these Israelite festivals were connected to the agricultural way of life. Pentecost was about harvest, 50 days after Passover. It was a continuation of Passover. We read there, to continue to remember that they had been delivered. It was connected to Passover. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Pentecost is dependent on Passover. It doesn't stand by itself. It doesn't have its own dates. It is 50 days after Passover. There's not an individual date like other festivals have. It is connected to Passover. It's a continuation of that first festival. This festival is slightly different. We read in Deuteronomy. Who, who is to participate? Verse 11, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you, everyone was invited to Pentecost, including foreigners. This is read in the Old Testament. Everyone was included. Pentecost was a celebration of the first fruits. God's salvation is not only about the past, He has saved us, but He was saving them now by providing them, 
with food, with, with shelter, with continued freedom in the, the harvest they were harvesting each year. It was to continue, a continuing remembrance, a continuing celebration of God at work right here, right now. A, thanks, a free will thanksgiving offering that God had delivered them from Egypt. In Leviticus, when they talk about the, uh, the festival, uh, they give some specific instructions about the harvest. Leviticus 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So during this time of harvest connected to Pentecost, where that passage in Leviticus comes in, that whole time was a time not just to celebrate that they had been delivered, but also in their remembering to remember those who were living among them who didn't have much. So they weren't to harvest to the edge. And those of you who remember the story, this actually fits into the story of Ruth. Ruth came back with Naomi to Israel. And for them to survive, Ruth went to a field and she was able to gather some to take home because the field she went to was obeying that instruction. And I'm sure others were, but at least this field was, the field of Boaz. And so she was able to take some home. Ruth, a Moabite, a non-Israelite, came back, was able to benefit from this. And the beauty of this, in fact, our Jewish tradition is they actually read Ruth during this time. This is their book of study during Pentecost. Or the, the, the name they call it, I'm not Shavuot, Shav, whatever, yeah, whatever it's called. I'm not a Jew. Another fact about our Pentecost is uh, historically, while this is not explicit in Scripture, Historically, it is associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So when Jews today celebrate uh, Pentecost, they're actually remembering more about the fact that God gave the law, Torah, to the people. That's what they're remembering today. The law was given to them. Represents a time of uh, they've now been delivered. But now with the law being given, they've now become a nation. This is their constitution. They now can stand as a nation, no longer under slavery. This was the celebration, the festival that was going on during that time when we get to Acts chapter 2. Then in Acts chapter 2. The first day of Pentecost arrives after Jesus had transformed Passover. What's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, the first thing to note, this is one of the three big festivals. One of the three big, one of the three pilgrim festivals. So there was Jews from all around the known world in Jerusalem at that time. And we see that in Acts. But 120 were praying in the upper room, Acts 2, verse 2. As they prayed, suddenly, a sound like a blowing wind, a violent wind, 
came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want to propose to you this morning that these 120, as they gathered on Pentecost, as they prayed and honoured God, worshipped God together, they offered themselves as a first fruit offering. God, I'm here. I'm offering you myself as a first fruit. And what did God do? He accepted their offering because fire came from heaven. Fire came from heaven. He accepted their offering, an offering of harvest. The rest of the harvest is the world. But on that day, not only did the 120 receive a blessing from God, but on that day, as they step out and spill out in the streets, Peter declares with boldness, and we read 3,000, 3,000 come to accept the message of Jesus. Pentecost is a celebration of harvest. Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the, the earth. You'll receive power. Power to be a witness. Power to go and preach the good news and make disciples. Power to go and reap the harvest. Jesus said this in his, his times about, you know, what, when we're talking about what to pray for, he goes, pray for workers of the harvest. He's not talking about the physical wheat harvest. He's talking about the harvest of the world, the spiritual harvest. Our second point we can bring out of here is that uh, all people participate. As we read in Deuteronomy, all people were to participate in Pentecost. Well, Pentecost didn't stop on that first day. As we continue to read Acts, Peter eventually gets his call from this Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10. From Caesarea, Cornelius asked to see Peter. And Peter goes to proclaim the good news. He's there telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of his message, the Holy Spirit decides to go, that's enough, Peter. Time for me to act. And Peter records this. The Holy Spirit recorded on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like we did on the day of Pentecost. It was for all people, not just the ethnic Jews anymore. It was for all ethnic people, all nations. Pentecost is no longer confined to a geographical wheat harvest. Pentecost has been transformed into a spiritual harvest of all people around the world. This is Pentecost. This is what we're celebrating. I believe each person, each believer of God, just as much as we need a Passover conversion encounter, as I read about these festivals, I'm convinced we need a Pentecost experience just as much. 
just as important. Pentecost also signifies the giving of the law, as I mentioned earlier. The wind and fire represent God. God accepting their gift. God, who showed up at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 9 and 18. Thunder, fire, noise. But at that moment, the law was given on stone tablets. They would read their five scrolls for the law, the Torah. But what happened at Pentecost? The law is no longer on tablets. When the Spirit fell, he placed the law in our heart. The law is in our heart. Why do we know what to do, what is good and right? Because the Spirit is leading us. The Spirit is leading us. Just as the law was given on that mountain, made the people of Israel a nation, they now had their law, their constitution. The Spirit now has placed the law on all people. Every ethnic group now are part of the people of God because we share the same law, the one law written on our hearts. That's what we celebrate when we talk about Pentecost. We are one people. We come together as one The Spirit brings us together. As I said, I believe all Christians need a Pentecost experience. A time where we stand before God and offer ourselves as a first fruit offering. Say, God, here I am. I offer myself to you. Take me. Accept me. A moment where the Holy Spirit ascends and accepts our offering and empowers, empowers us as believers to be His witnesses. Writing His law on our hearts. Uniting us together as one family as one nation. That's Pentecost. That's what we are remembering. That God is saving us now. He's continuing to save us. Yes, He has saved us. And He is continuing to save us now by pouring out His Spirit on us continually. Continually. Each and every day we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is transforming us transforming us each and every day in the image of Christ. I wish it was like a nice linear journey. Yeah, sometimes I'm a bit like this. <laughs> yeah, ask my family. The Spirit's at work in us. Before we come back to Pentecost, I do want to mention the third festival, the third of the three pilgrim festivals, the festival in gathering. The final festival, the festival of the tabernacles or ingathering. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 13 to 15, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of the threshing floor of your winepress. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons, daughters, your males and female servants and the Levites and the foreigners and the fatherless and widows who live in the towns. Again, everyone is in this festival. For seven days, celebrate 
to the, uh, the festival to the Lord your God, the place you will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all of your harvest and all of the work of the hands, and your joy will be complete. At the end of the harvest, Israel's are to celebrate that God has provided. God has provided for them. Be joyful and celebrate. Everyone, everyone together. I believe, just as Passover was transformed from a geographical deliverance to a spiritual deliverance, Pentecost was transformed from a geographical celebration of the harvest to a spiritual celebration of harvest and empowerment and as one that the last festival represents to the the story Jesus talks about of the great wedding banquet. The final celebration where the spiritual harvest will be complete and we all come together to celebrate. We haven't got to that one yet. I don't believe so. But one day we will. The three go together. One day, we will be saved. Yes, we have been saved. We are being saved continually each day as the Spirit renews and works in us. And Jesus will come back again and we will be saved. The bridegroom is coming back for a bride, a wedding feast. Three festivals. Musos, if you don't mind to come up, please. Three times a year in Deuteronomy 16, 16 to 17. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God. Must appear. Three crucial festivals. Passover, Pentecost, in gathering. It doesn't give another P, so I can't use another P for that third point. Yeah, sorry, Pastor Gary. <laughs> I believe we must have a Passover experience. I don't know everyone here. And my prayer, and I know the prayer of the church here, is that you have had a moment in your life of you, you said, I need Jesus. Jesus, you need to save me. A moment where you've stepped from a place of spiritual slavery, bondage to sin, into a place of spiritual freedom. We all need that. And maybe this morning, this could be your morning. Will you celebrate a Passover experience in your life, a conversion encounter? But on this day is Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday, where we, we celebrate the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't know if you've all had a Pentecost experience, but I believe we need to have a Pentecost experience. Now, let me clarify something here. Connected to our doctrine, I don't. I'm not saying that I believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I'm not saying that. I mean, in Acts chapter 18, I think it was 1819, where the uh, believers were found in Ephesus. They're called believers, so they were believers. Then they received also then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying that, but I do want to put some emphasis on this: that I believe, from a biblical perspective, it appeared to be the normative. 
It appeared to be normal, that this was just part of our Christian journey. This is just what we expected. Let's expect it today. We're the continuing of that church from the first century. Yes, we've had a conversion encounter Passover. How's your Pentecost experience? How's your Pentecost experience? Do you see your people as one? Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness? Very shortly, we're going to sing, and we'll sing that song again, Come Holy Spirit. And as we sing, if you have not experienced for the first time the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray with you this morning. We're going to ask you to come forward. Or maybe you just need a fresh touch. We need to be continually filled. Continually filled with the Spirit. And maybe you just need to go, you know, I just need again, once again, offer myself as a first fruit offering. This morning on Pentecost Sunday, why don't you just come and offer yourself if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as I would say, according to our doctrine, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Why not? What a, what, a better day. No better day than on the day of Pentecost. And if you need a fresh touch this morning, why don't you come forward? Musos, why don't you just leave with us? And I want to invite you, if you, if you want something, why don't you stand and come forward as we sing this song this morning?